Hello everyone, it's DJ again. And the fact that you have started playing this episode means you might already be keyed up to get mad. And we'll see. I know that this week's episode is going to make people angry, no matter what I do. Because this is always a touchy subject. Who knows, I might even regret doing this. I hope not. I want to make sure people get the right information and are able to benefit from it. So I'm going to make this episode anyway. And we'll just see what happens. The information needs to be out there. So, pardon what I'm about to say, since you're not used to hearing me curse that much, I'll take a deep breath here. And damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. So this week, let's talk about divorces in the military. How do they affect service members, former spouses, their families, their money, their benefits, all of that. And I am going to talk about all of that. I spent quite a bit of time writing the article or script to go with this. In fact, I might even break this apart. In fact, now that I think about it, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break this part into easy-to-swallow caplets. Uh, let's see, I've got four sections here, so I'll make four episodes. So, there we go. That'll make it easier to understand and allow some cooling-off time for the really touchy subjects. So, let's get into the info here. Let's get into uh, more personal uh, items like, uh, or actually, let's leave the personal items out and just talk about facts or what happens in this case or that case. We're going to mainly talk about pay, benefits, and survivorship. Um, and I, I am going to be reading a lot more than I typically do for, for my episodes because I am not a lawyer and I'm not even a paralegal. So, I'm taking a lot of information directly off of the research I did for this topic uh, and taking a lot of experience as a retirement services officer and putting that into what I have prepared as well. So let's call this an experienced layman's perspective of military divorces supplemented by a great deal of research. So I believe I've got all the facts right here. In fact, most of the websites that I used for my research are in the references section. You're welcome to check me out. And if I make mistakes, I am more than willing to listen to uh, constructive criticism and correction. So please don't be afraid to submit any of that. I want the right info out there. And if I slip up, please help me. Get the right info and the right people. So, let's start off with what I consider kind of amusing. Now, for those of you who actually have to deal with a, a uh, military divorce, it's obviously not, but sometimes from my perspective, it, it can be just a little amusing. And that is what military retirement and military retirement plans and benefits are not. This actually trips up a great many attorneys out there. 
because there's this little thing called ERISA, which is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act. And like I said, a lot of lawyers sometimes find this difficult to understand. Uh, ERISA is a set of laws that governs how most private sector retirement plans are managed, constructed, and uh, and how they work for private industry. Lawyers are quite comfortable with this. They learn about this in school. They deal with this on a regular basis. So when they hear things dealing with military retirement, it's easy to fall back on what you know. So I've been questioned by civilian attorneys over the years, and they always ask questions that you can tell are much more oriented to civilian retirement plans. In fact, I've had some even use uh, terminology from ERISA, Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It's, uh, it, it's um, you, know, you could almost say it's cute, but the problem here is military retirement does not work at all like civilian retirement does. In fact, uh, how different could it be, you might wonder. But uh, let's just see. I've got a couple of uh, questions here that have been asked of me in the past. Uh, let's just see how they sound from a family law lawyer perspective. I'm sure there might be one out there. And how they would sound to a JAG lawyer or even an RSO. So I've got five here. I'm going to just read them all. I'll go slowly so you can think about each one. Number one. What is the current balance of the employee's pension fund? Number two. What is the member's contribution to the fund? Number three, what is the buyout or lump sum value of the fund? Number four, what portion of the fund was acquired during the marital portion or marital period and what portion was vested on the date of divorce? Number five, who is the asset manager of the pension fund? See what I mean? None of those can really be answered from a military perspective. Even someone with a rudimentary understanding of military retirement can see that you cannot satisfactorily answer those because our retirement plan is so different. It's not really that our retirement is complicated. It's just so radically different from what a civilian attorney is used to seeing. For example, while there is such a thing as the military retirement fund, it's a very macro, high, high level sort of thing. There's no personal account for any one serviceman. So you can't say you have X number of dollars in your fund. Now, people like me can throw you estimates of what your pension would be worth over time if you get to the point of being able to receive it. 
But that doesn't mean there's that much money sitting there with your name on it. You have to actually get there first. There's no buyout or lump sum option, at least not until the blended retirement system came around. And even then, it would be very difficult to calculate what the member would receive as a lump sum while they're still serving. There are too many variables. The military pension, simply put, is a defined benefit plan. This means that the member receives a certain standard amount or percentage of his base pay for each year of service. Vesting, or the point where the retirement benefit is definitely yours and cannot usually be taken away, is 20 years of qualifying service. That same Cliff vesting requirement, cliff vesting means all or nothing, you either have it or you don't, or in military terminology, go, no go. Uh, that same cliff vesting requirement holds true for most of the other benefits involved in military retirement, such as lifetime TRICARE coverage and life and use of on-post facilities after military service. So, like I said, this all-or-nothing approach is called cliff vesting, and it can be sometimes difficult to explain to a civilian attorney. Uh, they're much more comfortable with the three- to five-year vesting requirements of ERISA plans. So now, someone like me throws in the unique nature of being a reserve retiree, and you can practically see their heads explode. In fact, if before, uh, if you're an RSO out there and you're talking to a civilian attorney, before you go into all the details of civilian, I mean, of reserve retirement, wrap their heads in duct tape first. You know, that way when their head does explode, you'll have all the pieces in one place. It's easier to put them back together. There's my joke for that. Now, let's take a quick look at how things actually do happen with military divorce. Keep wanting to say retirement, it's just habit. Keep wanting to say retirement. So help me out here. Alright. So as we know, when divorces happen, very often there's a division of pay and other benefits. And unless the terms of division are laid out in the divorce decree itself, which is normally why attorneys are calling people like me, and know how to divide things, then uh, that division of assets would usually be done under what's called a Qualified Domestic Relations Order, or Quadro for short. A Quadro works for most visible assets, but it isn't necessarily the best document for a division of military retirements and benefits dealing with the military. And that's mainly because military retirements are not, uh, do not fall under the definition of a qualified retirement plan, like ERISA. So it's not like a 401k or an IRA, something like that. Those would normally, in a divorce, be divided under a qualified domestic relations order or quadro. But it's actually better if something called a military pension division order is used when you're trying to divide up military benefits. 
In fact, I've got a sample of the language you know, direct from the Defense Finance and Accounting Service in the references section. So if you're going through something like this, take that sample and give it to your attorney so that you have at least a good idea of what the wording should be and you know things will not be confusing when they get to the pay center and the vision actually happens. Now here's actually another interesting sidebar. I'll, uh, I'll throw this your way. On several occasions, I've read divorce decrees which have ordered the service member to keep service members through life insurance, SGLI, policies on themselves with the ex-spouse as a beneficiary. Well, that uh, decree, even if it's mandated that the member do this or keep this policy after leaving service, uh, there's some, I guess you would call it good news, uh, for the member, uh, a Supreme Court decision in 1981, uh, Ridgeway versus Ridgeway, uh, declared that courts cannot enforce orders requiring SGLI coverage. And even when the, now it's me again, I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about that case, but if, if there was a, a decree stating that you had to keep military life insurance, then of course when you left service, that means veterans group life insurance, and anyone who has seen those premiums knows you need a better attorney if you've been told to keep that kind of policy. All right, let me do one quick thing on the Quadro and the MPDO, the Military Pension Division Order, before I pause and wrap up this episode. The Division of Assets can be done in the divorce decree itself. Some courts like to do everything all at once. Others like to just separate the individuals in one document and then divide assets and benefits in another. So it really depends on the preference of the judge and the attorneys and even the two parties involved in the divorce, the people actually affected. Whatever the case, Proper wording is essential, and I say that slowly and carefully for emphasis. If the wording is vague, particularly if you're dealing with the division of assets, and even more so if you're talking about the division of military retirement, vague wording will get that court order thrown out by the military pay center faster than anything. Military pay does not deal with pay. They want absolute specifics. So, call someone like me, or an attorney who is familiar with military retirements. Get someone who is experienced in what you need to do. Don't just go to any run-of-the-mill attorney, even if they say they understand military retirements. Check it out. I have had several people come to me asking for help who swore up and down their attorneys knew what they were doing. And then you read the documents, the divorce decrees, or the quadros, and you can tell this person had no idea what they were doing because everything is in civilian terms. Everything is written as if it were an ERISA 
retirement, not a military retirement. So when we try to divide those benefits and those pay, those income streams, it doesn't work because the wording is wrong and it's often ambiguous. So a pay center isn't going to know what to do. So obviously, when you send something like that to DFAS or the Coast Guard pay center or the Marine Corps pay center, they're going to be thrown out. Get someone who knows what they're doing. Whether you're a service member or the soon-to-be former spouse, get someone who knows what they're doing so that both sides are protected and both sides hopefully fare better than they would otherwise. I'm going to pause this episode since I've decided I'm going to break this apart into four separate episodes. Next week, I will be dealing with Division of Retired Pay. I know, the ugly one, right? So next week, I will deal with that. And uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, don't be surprised. I'm going to record all four right now. So you'll see me wearing this same outfit. No, I'm not wearing the same thing for four straight weeks. That would be disgusting. All right, so thank you for watching this episode. If you liked what you saw, thank you for listening out there in podcast land. If you liked what you saw, liked what you heard, please share this episode with others. Please give it a thumbs up on the YouTube side. Give it a positive rating on the podcast and YouTube side. And I have a specific request for those those of you out there in podcast land. Uh, If you would, go over to iTunes and write a review of what you see or rather what you hear in this podcast. Let others know whether or not this is a valuable tool to them. Let's try to get some more folks on board. And uh, I want to remind everyone that the website has a new tool. Oh, by the way, I found what was causing it to be such a slug. It's running well now. One of the plugins was causing the site to cause uh, slow load times. So, now, instead of taking two minutes, it might take two seconds, two to three seconds to load the whole page. So that's great. But the site has a new tool called SpeakPipe on it, where you can leave me a up to a three-minute voice message. So if you have questions or comments, please feel free to make use of SpeakPipe and drop me a message. I think that's enough call to action for one episode. So... Once again, as always, thank you for being part of this audience, and thank you for making this a very enjoyable experience. Please uh, use this information for good, not evil, as of course, and as always, thank you for your service. Have a good day.